0: Previously on Tangents Abound. Harley, the, the house is fill, filling with smoke. <coughs> are you cooking again? <coughs> Aaron, your angel of death awaits. <laughs> oh, f- yeah, funny, Scott. I'm, I'm not falling for that a second time. Boy, you're not Scott, are you? No. Oh, boy. I'm in trouble, I? And now the conclusion. <sighs> okay, just so we're clear, there's absolutely no way to convince you not to split me like a overripe melon, right? No. Okay, well, uh, everyone, it was a nice run while it lasted, but <laughs> it looks like the show's about to come to a bittersweet and horrible ending, but, uh, e- hey, w- uh, wait, wait, w- what's that? Really, phantasm? you need to turn around. Really? You think I'll fall for that? Wow! Hey, thanks Spider-Man! I didn't know you knew where I lived! Everybody gets one. Oh! Awesome! Hey, if there's anything I can do to repay you, just let me know. Well, now, as, now that he's swinging off, and it looks like the show's actually going to continue going on, which is kind of a bit of a relief to me, <laughs> I should probably introduce myself and get the show started properly. <laughs> Cue the music, Harley! A wise man once said, Every journey begins with the first step. Come with me, my friends as together we travel down the roadway of geekdom in our never-ending quest to find the joy and fun in what we love. However, our final destination may not be where we intended, for on this journey, tangents abound. Welcome to Tangents Abound, my friends. My name is Aaron Enley, and thank you all for joining me. Oh, it's good to be back behind the mic. Oh, I've, I missed this. But I've got some great ideas coming up. And also, there's a little housekeeping I need to do first. Um, listening, thinking it over, the show is always a work in progress. I always try to improve it and make it better. And, you know since I started doing this show, I really start understanding what George Lucas said when meant when he said art is never finished, it's only released. Yeah, I, I I get that now because I and I also get why he does the special editions. Because listening to back to some of my first episodes, I'm like, oh, I could have done this. Oh, that was bad. Oh, oh, I wish I had I could fix this. <laughs> so I I get where he's coming from now. <sighs> and tangent about time real quick. For those of you who complain about the special editions, think about this. They've been pretty much the Star Wars for the past 20 years. Entire generations of kids have known no other version of the movies. That's all I'm saying. Now, that said, do I wish that the choice of having the original theatrical editions released was possible so we could see what was original compared to today? Yes. However, I understand why certain executives will not do that because you know again for the past 20 some years what we call the special editions kids growing up have just called Star Wars that's all I'm gonna say so so I've decided to take the feedback section from the beginning of the show and move it to the back end of the show so That way, if people don't want to listen to the feedback and just the main topic, they can go right ahead. So, that's what we're going to be doing from now on. I think I'm going to take a break from Gotham for an episode or so, so I don't become an exclusive Batman podcast. And since I owe him one, I think I'll devote an entire episode to the amazing, spectacular, sensational, friendly neighborhood, Spider-Man. So, Harley... You know what to do, sweetie. Cue the music! Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. Alrighty, Spider-Man! Woo! Now, I'm going to give you a little backstory before we get into the topic for today, just so that you kind of know where I come from. And if I repeat myself from something I may have said in in an earlier episode, I apologize, but, you know, hey, every episode is someone's first. Alrighty, so I have been a big Spider-Man fan pretty much my entire life. Um, in fact... Spider-Man was what got me into comic books. The very first time I dove headfirst into comics after I just started working my first part-time job and had, you know, actual money I could burn, I'm walking past my uh, local Walden books at the mall. And uh, actually, every time I go into the mall and see its empty slot, I still cry a bit. So I go into the spinner rack, and I have no idea what's going on in Marvel Comics. I just see an issue of Amazing Spider-Man with Spider-Man all bandaged up in a hospital um, dressing gown, half his face is bandaged, he's beaten to a bloody pulp, and it says uh, the other part six, the death of Spider-Man. My interest is immediately piqued, <laughs> So I buy the issue, I read it, and then I just become a full fledged Spider-Man fan. Now. Looking back, a lot of people apparently don't like the other storyline, and a lot of uh, what the writer uh, J. Michael Straczynski was doing, okay. I just didn't read enough to, to know what was going on, what was good, what was bad. All I knew is, holy crap, Spider-Man just died. <laughs> but in the great tradition of comics, and also mass marketing, he got better. So. I was with the Amazing Spider-Man, and for a few years after that, and anything with Spider in the title, I was buying at the time. I was buying Friendly Neighborhood. I was buying, I think it was Spectacular. Um, I was even buying the Spider Family manga that was coming out that around that time. So if it had Spider in the title, it was in my poll box. In fact, I discovered what a poll box was because of Spider-Man. Because I was like, I found a local comic store, which I don't think is around anymore. And I said, man, I wish I could just have a way to to save these issues, you know, so I didn't have to run back, you know, every week to check. You know you could put those on reserve in a poll box, right? No. Please, mystical comic salesperson, tell me more. <laughs> I must know. So that led to, uh, well, <laughs> you know how you find a hobby and you go whole hog and only bitterly realize later that, It's a massive life-crippling addiction. (laughs) Yeah, that happened to me. (laughs) I had to have a comic intervention. (laughs) And so I stuck around for a long time because, to me, there were certain things I always accepted in the Spider-Man lore. Things such as Green Goblin is Peter's worst enemy. Now, the case can be made for Dr. Octopus, especially in recent years because of the Superior Spider-Man series. But at the time, to me... And always, um, Green Goblin Norman Osborn is to Peter what Lex Luthor is to Superman. So, as bad as Doc Ock is, nobody has uh, messed up Peter's life more than Norman Osborn. Now, also, you can make a case for Venom being one of, being Spider-Man's biggest foe. I tend to n- not say. I tend to say none of the symbiotes are his biggest foes. Maybe some of his most powerful foes, but definitely not the biggest and certainly some of the most overexposed. (laughs) Uh, Venom in particular, who was second only to Wolverine. Seriously, how did Wolverine show up in like 12 books in the late 2000s and still be in the X-Men? It was physically impossible for him to be in all these places at once. Now... I stuck around, like I said, with Amazing Spider-Man for a few years, but that all changed in early 2008. And for those Spider-Man fans who are listening, you know where I'm going. Because this was when the storyline One More Day occurred. Now I'm just going to give a very quick summary of this. In order to save Aunt May from dying from a gunshot wound as a result of a lot of events but but basically stemming out of Peter's secret identity being revealed in Civil War and also for some reason Aunt May coming back from the dead because even though she died in issue 400 and was given a very nice and pleasant death and it was actually very sweet and touching and helped Peter grow no, that was just an actress hired by Norman Osborn who was such a good actress she decided to die (laughs) okay, yeah there was weird things in retconning from time to time with Spider-Man but again to save Aunt May from dying from this gunshot Mary Jane and Peter make a literal deal with the devil Mephisto and in exchange for May's recovery and Peter regaining his secret identity they decide to push a giant reset button and have their entire marriage erased from history so basically everything that I had known and loved for 20 years was out the window now Let me just explain my initial thoughts on that. I was not happy. I I always accepted certain uh, comic book couples, Lois and Clark, Reed and Sue, Peter and Mary Jane, and they helped give me a stable home because I didn't come from one. I saw love and care in uh, in these fictional characters and that was something I desperately needed. Now, for those of you who say, oh, it was hard to write a married couple, I turn you to Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man Annual Number One by Peter David. That is how you write a spider couple. So something that was pretty much an emotional bedrock for me was gone. Now I didn't become a hater and go flying off on the forums or whatever. I just said, okay, tell me where the story is going to go. Well, after One More Day, there was the Brand New Day series, and I had some issues with those opening stories because <laughs> they were pretty much, well, let's, now that Peter's single, let's have him hook up with everyone we've ever wanted him to hook up with, including like literally issue two of this new series. He is hooking up with Black Cat. But wait a second. His secret identity back. Nobody knows it. Yeah, nobody knows who Peter really is. Not even uh, Johnny Storm. There was a massive amount of headaches for writers because they're like, well, who, who knows? No, nobody knows. Oh, so he sort of knows? No, nobody knows. So wait, how is Peter sleeping with Black Cat when she doesn't know he's Peter Parker? Well, and this is absolutely true, they hook up, and he still wears the mask, which leads to a whole section I don't want to cover on a family-friendly podcast. So, after that, another um, big deal was there was this character, I just call him Inside Out Man, because he was a metahuman, and his powers, he was literally inside out. And I have to give it credit to the artist because it, it was so good, it literally made me physically ill. So that's a credit to the artist, but also a big reason why I dropped the books from then on. And I would not return to Marvel Comics for a very long time until I was introduced to the Peter David run of The Incredible Hulk on a sadly, um, uh, deceased podcast known as pad smash hosted by j david reader reader and also uh starring michael bradley and michael bailey and guys if you ever are listening to this thank you so much you introduced me to one of the best writers in fiction i'm so grateful for all the hours of enjoyment you gave me as a podcast listener and if you ever want to talk the big green giant you are more than welcome to stop by on the show that You have a full open invitation. Now, Michael Bailey, your invitation is for Superman. (laughs) But anyone else? I just want to say thank you on air. So, that's what I'm trying to say. Now, cut to 2016, I think. During the marketing for the umpteenth semi-annual, and by semi, I mean every six months, epic Marvel Crossover Secret Wars where anything and everything was on the table for marvel now what it was was oh boy basically take doctor do take the story secret wars from the 80s and just turn the dials up to not even 11 turn them up to 12. and i wasn't really interested in that really but I w- what I was interested in was there was all these tie-ins covering with like different events and timelines and things. Kind of like what DC was doing with Convergence at the time. And they decided to bring back something that caught my attention. Because it was announced that a tie-in series called Spider-Man Renew Your Vows would be written by then and still current as of this recording, Spider-Man writer Dan Slott. This series would have first Peter and MJ back together. Okay, I am intrigued. Two, they have a daughter. Okay, I'm definitely going to check it out, but to me, that's not quite so earth-shattering because I have read all of the Amazing Spider-Girl series starring May, May Mayday Parker, and believe me, I could do a whole series on that, and I've really considered it from time to time. But there will be more on that to come, especially if I can get uh, a super special guest if our schedules ever align. And third, Spider-Man would be the only hero left following a massive doomsday event. So I bought it and I read it and I enjoy it quite a bit, but it just wasn't quite what I was looking for. In fact, the story could probably best be summed up as the Marvel version of The Incredibles. For example, superheroes and supervillains are pretty much extinct. Anyone with powers is either shanghaied into a Gestapo-like secret police ruled by a villain named the Regent, or is taken to the Regent's citadel in New York, because where else would he put a citadel? Never to be seen again. The reason being is the Regent is locking them into some sort of stasis chamber, which I first thought was actually, like, he killed them and was then taking their... Uh, s- storing them in these, uh, um... Uh, Hydro, uh, not hydroponic um cryogenic cryogenic chambers and he was using technology to tap into their meta abilities and give him their give him his victims powers the so the reason the re- region is doing this is so he can get stronger to fight a being named the beyonder thus the tie into the secret war story and I think I may be, a, may be a little wrong. He may have been fighting uh, Dr. Doom, who pretty much was God at that point. It, I need to reread that. But regardless, he's trying to get superpower to, in his own twisted way, save the universe. Well, throughout the story, we see Peter and Mary Jane trying to keep the precocious eight-year-old from revealing her powers and also at times comforting her from a traumatic event where a certain long-tongued villain with a penchant for eating brains almost killed her as a toddler and peter finally having enough of venom's takes the symbiote into a burning building fights in the building and collapses it on the venom killing the symbiote once and for all so apparently threatening his wife and you know giving her PTSD wasn't enough but threatening to eat his daughter well that made the webs come off and it was actually quite touching because it wasn't just Peter doing this it was Mary Jane telling Peter it's okay do you you know you're the only two in this building do you know what that means and Peter goes God help me I do but Venom you crossed the line finally so after the death of Venom, back for, and then a few years later, Peter goes from hiding and actually ignoring um, any calls to be a hero to occasionally helping, mainly at the <laughs> insistence of his daughter Annie Mae Parker. But eventually, he does become the full-on web-slinger we need to defeat the Regent once and for all. He's aided by his little girl and his wife, who gains spider powers temporarily from Peter by u- using one of the region's super sciencey techno doohickeys. So basically, she's tapping into Peter's powers. So Peter is a little um, less effective, but there's but now they're tag teaming. So it's it's actually really cool. And again, that's just a satellite view of like a six issue. Uh, story, so I'd recommend checking it out. You can find it on Comixology, you can find it on Marvel Unlimited, uh, you can find it at your local comic book store. Go check it out. But that is not what we're going to cover today. We're going to cover possibly the greatest Spider-Man title on the shelf today. Why? Oh, just wait a minute, because first I'm going to drop some promos for some other incredibly for some other amazing podcasts. See what I did there? And when we get back, we're going to cover the story of The Amazing Spider Man, Renew Your Vows, Volume 2, Issues 1 through 4, and the main story title, Brawl in the Family. We'll be right back. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Two, two, three. Six. You stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight here. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express. Non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship out. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fantasy. Lando Calrissian. Star Wars Monthly Mondays. Available the first Monday of every month at 2 We would be honored if you would join us. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. <laughs> no 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 that's not actually true i'm not daredevil blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night no i am j david Weeder, a podcaster but you can call me dave i do read about daredevil and his adventures and i podcast about it on my show dave's daredevil podcast you see it's it's my daredevil you get it you get it Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a Billy Club hat. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is DaredevilPodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, like I said, we're going to cover the first four issues. Now, real quick, I'm just going to go over the covers. Real, um, The first cover, we're, it's pretty much the hero shot, as we're introduced to Peter, Mary Jane, and Annie in their spider costumes all on uh, big spider web and it's really really nice um the second one and this will make sense as we get into the story is mary jane web swinging through an entire gang of moloids. the third one is annie uh web swinging away while peter and mary jane embrace and watch in pride as their daughter web swings and personally this is my favorite cover of the comic And then the fourth one is Peter, Mary Jane, and Annie tied up in a bunch of chains being dangled over a pit of lava, with the villain of the piece gazing on and maniacally cackling. So, in modern comics, there are now a ton of people working on the book, so I'm just going to be reading the four main um, credits that don't change, because, yeah, I think there are more Credits in modern comics Than are our credits in movies (laughs) So let's just uh, We'll go into this real Real quick The writer is veteran Spider-Man writer Jerry Conway Now you may not know Jerry Conway But you certainly know his work One of his first writing gigs Was for a little story called The Night Gwen Stacy Died yeah, he wrote that story, and he's been a pinnacle of Spider-Man history since. Now, there's a long, long story of, Well, he's the guy who killed Gwen! I hate him! I hate him! No, <laughs> that that was one of his first issues, and the plans for that were already way in the works before Mr. Conway came out of the book from the interviews and articles I read on that history, so don't get your pitchforks out on Mr. Conway. He is incredibly awesome. The artist is Ryan Stegman, who, it's just beautiful, his pencils. Um, I'll get more into it in details, but the art is just simply gorgeous. Now, the colorist is Sonia Obak. And personally, I don't think colorists get nearly the respect they deserve, because it's just beautiful. Her lighting techniques, her shading techniques, um, everything just adds just so much more depth to Ryan Stegman's pencils and inks it's just the the art alone is worth the price of admission on this because it's kind of like a, a more this is a more comedic book and Ryan Stegman's art is a half manga influenced it I'm not really describing it well I'll post uh, some pictures of my favorite parts in the show notes but Yeah, you need to check out the art. I don't know what Mr. Segman has done else, but he is definitely an artist that I want to check out more of his work and I hope, (laughs) yeah, it's just, I haven't been this excited for a Spider-Man artist since McFarlane and I wasn't even alive during that time period because I found, you know, all the Todd McFarlane issues, you know, and back issues and things and I was like, man, this is great, this is great. So, yeah, this was really good work on our spider family. And the letterer is V.C.'s Joe Caramagna. Now, I apologize, Mr. Caramagna, if I completely butcher that. Okay, so let's get into part one of this story. Now, the nice thing is the first three issues each take place from a certain character's point of view. They're introductory issues. So the first story, of course, starts with Peter. Our story opens one night in Midtown, New York, where a bank robbery by the dastardly villain Scorpion is interrupted by our wondrous and witty webbed warrior. During the fight, our webbed wonder is busy contemplating thoughts of immense profundity and importance. Okay, so I may be going a little Stanley here. Sue me. This book is so much fun, I don't care. Well, what could these important thoughts be? Well, it's the grocery list of items he promised MJ he'd pick up at the corner store before coming across the scorpion trying to rob the bank. Well, during the fight, he receives a call from from said former supermodel wife, Mary Jane Watson Parker, over his radio earbud... Uh thingy and informs her husband that not all is well at the Parker house as they now have a code green. This immediately sends Peter hurrying to finish the fight and leaving a webbed up scorpion for the police as Peter immediately rushes home. Unaware as he's swinging through the uh, Manhattan uh, skyline, he passes by the office of young Normie Osborne, grandson of Norman Osborne, the original Green Goblin. Well, something happened to dear old Grandad, and I'm going to assume it's what happened as, you know, that he died and is still dead. And Harry also is apparently still dead from the effects of taking the Goblin serum all those many years ago in a now iconic story. which. Amount of time somehow was also reversed in one more day, <laughs> so that w- yeah, that was one more reason I dropped the book because how does Peter and Mary Jane's marriage bring back Harry? Because he took the serum before they were married. <laughs> okay, so Normie is now the CEO of Osborne Industries, not too shabby for an eight-year-old, <laughs> to be honest. S- also, we find out that Normie has recently put a lot of time, money, and pulled a lot of political strings to make sure that Osborne Industries is the only corporation allowed access to the former Villain Regents uh, destroyed Citadel and the super technology inside. And now we cut to said smoldering crater because we see a small sinkhole beginning to emerge. More on that later. Well back at the Parker's apartment MJ confirms that she wasn't kidding about the Code Green. So what is this mysterious code? What horrifying event could have occurred? Could it be an attack from Doc Ock, the lizard, somehow the Green Goblin, or heaven forbid, the Hulk himself? No, actually, Code Green is just parental slang for Annie's in bed asleep, and Mama really needs her Spider-Man now. Well, before this all ages book goes adults only, the two lovers are interrupted by a scream from Annie's bedroom. Rushing in, Peter and MJ are surprised to find their little girl and her super adorable pet turtle, Speedy, covered in web fluid, stuck in midair, and she's just going, Sorry. <laughs> well, apparently the genius apple didn't fall too far from this parker tree because young annie was actually trying to improve her dad's web shooter and accidentally triggered it to completely empty all the web cartridges inside and this provided a rather nasty little wake-up call to speedy and also made sure that we won't be seeing little ben parker in this universe maybe (laughs) well after a little parental scolding and guidance and a really nice touching family moment, and one of the main reasons I love this book so much, Peter and Jay decide to postpone the, uh, uh, (laughs) parental, uh, the marriage, uh, decide to postpone their evening together and take Annie and and, um, go to bed in their room because, well, you know, Annie's current bed is currently covered in web fluid. It takes a while for the stuff to dissolve, and Peter only had enough solvent with... Yeah, I never knew this. Peter actually has solvent to free Annie and Speedy. I guess it would make sense, you know, if you 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 accidentally web yourself to a door, you kind of want to make sure you can unweb it, otherwise you're stuck there for an hour. Well, the next morning, the family enjoys a nice breakfast together, and Peter realizes that while he may remember the most complex chemical equations known to mankind... He still can't remember a simple grocery list. Yeah, it happens to us all. It happens to us all, Pete. It happens to us all. The family then heads off to work and to school. At the Daily Bugle, our favorite freelance photographer is getting the usual runaround by old jolly J. Jonah Jameson himself, who is even crankier than usual, having stopped smoking and trading in his trademark cigar for a candy cane. And now. Tangents about time, and possibly a little uh, political thing, so I hope I don't offend anyone. Because back in the early 2000s, Joe Casada, then editor in chief or grand poobah of Marvel Comics, decided that any comic book character smoking was bad. Now, while I personally disapprove of the practice, I won't stop anyone else from that right to choose. And I do so- see why he wanted that message made, as you know, these books are intended for kids. However, I took issue with certain characters whose cigars were, to me, part of their character. Um, Characters like Wolverine, The Thing, Nick Fury, J. Jonah Jameson. Whenever I think of them, I think of them with a stogie in hand. Because, you know, it, it just makes sense to me for their character. And also, when I think of a newspaper editor like Jonah or Perry White or in DC's Neck of the Woods, I always think of them chomping on a cigar and muttering about some sort of news article or how they're, you know, overpaying their photographers or, you know, or or correcting their uh, world-class reporter's spelling mistakes. So, that, that's just the image I have in my head of, of these certain characters. And, you know, plus it's always a great comic gag to have it go flying out of their mouth whenever they bellow. So... Yeah, I I miss it, but I understand. So, tangent's over. Well, finally getting a decent payday from the old skinflint, Peter overhears on one of the many TVs in the Bugle playing the news that a massive sinkhole has opened up under the Regent's Lair, and all of his super technology is taking a journey to the center of the Earth. Changing into his other work clothes and arriving at the scene, Spider-Man is... Surprised to encounter in a glorious two-page splash of awesomeness. Oh wait, excuse me. In a glorious two-page splash of awesomeness, a T-Rex climbing out of the hole along with a small army of moloids, a subterranean species under the control of the villainous Mole Man. Well, Spider-Man tries to wrangle that there ornery dino and finds out that his webbing isn't cutting it. Sure, it can stop an airplane in flight Rampaging T. Rex, not so much. Trying to keep himself from becoming a Rexy chew toy, Spider-Man is dogpiled on by the entire Pittsburgh Steeler defensive line, or really a small army of moloids. It's kind of hard to tell how they, because you know they kind of look a lot alike. But you know this isn't your usual solo web-slinger book. He's got a team. MJ comes swinging in and knocks enough of the moloids off Peter for him to free himself. Reminding her husband that, hey, they're a team now. And she's not sitting on the sidelines doing nothing but screaming for three movies. Oh, wait, that wasn't this Mary Jane. But still reminding Peter that he isn't alone anymore. The duo try to figure out what to do if a rampaging dinosaur in downtown Manhattan. And also, you know, the uh, small invasion of Moloids. When a small cry of, don't be mad, I messed up, is heard. Peter and MJ are shocked. To see their little girl bleeding and being dragged away by moloids. Okay. Like I said, the art is incredibly amazing. And I'm not saying that as a pun. I'm saying it is literally amazing. Ryan Stegman's style, like I mentioned, is kind of half manga, half John Romita Sr. So... Yeah, there's no complaints whatsoever from me. The art alone, as I mentioned, is worth the price of admission. Now, when we see the scorpion, I love um, Ryan's... Uh, Ryan, like I know him. Uh, I'm just going to call him Ryan because I, I, I just... want Whenever I hear Stegman, I, I think like Stegosaurus. And I'm like, the only artist I know who has a dinosaur in his name is Walt Simonson. And if you knew... Because he always signed his name to make it look like a source And that's a completely off-tangent and you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. Just It makes sense to me <laughs> and maybe a couple other of my listeners. But Scorpion looks great because he looks more insectile than just a guy in a big green suit with a mechanical tail. He looks threatening. He looks like he could act. He looks scary and that works. And he doesn't have to have the Venom symbiote to be scary, which never really made sense to me. I mean, why does the scorpion have the Venom symbiote to begin with? But that's a whole other story, and a whole other universe. Okay. Also, how do you get Spider-Man to stop messing around and finish a fight? Well, what usually works for a guy who has a smoking hot red hat waiting for him at home and the gr- and their daughter and their eight-year-old daughters in bed. <laughs> Oh, also, normie, normie. The poisonous apple isn't falling from from f- falling far from the tree, is it? Darn! I really hope this kid would kind of turn out normal. The one-page splash where we see Annie and Speedy tied up in the web fluid is pretty much the reason I become a lifetime subscriber for this comic book. It's just fun. It's uh, cute. It's just great. Now, the other reason is the very next page where we see Peter and MJ being real parents and being written as real parents. And while they're disciplining their little girl, they're explaining why she's being disciplined, um, you know, what, you know, that's uh, she's not just being yelled at, she's being taught, and that is something I wholeheartedly approve of. And in the breakfast scene, we see, um, as Peter flipping flapjacks, he throws one up and misses the plate and just goes flying. So Annie, in classic Steve Ditko multiple action poses, catches the pancake. And two things. I never, ever get tired of seeing those classic Steve Ditko action poses. Because that's what Spider-Man is to me. In fact, that's what superhero action is to me. i am just been reading, um, the, uh, Chuck Dixon, um, Steve, uh, McGi- McGibbon, I think. I'm probably, I probably, I'm I'm still trying to, f- Scott McDaniel, Scott McDaniel? Oh, Andy Leyland, if you're listening, you're screaming at me right now. Anyhow, I'm listening, I'm reading Chuck Dixon's run on Nightwing and a lot of the action poses because, uh, Nightwing's an acrobat, calls to my spider that's what I'm trying to get to. Now... My second question is Are those pancakes Peter's making or are they wheat cakes See The Amazing Spider-Man number one For more information Also at the Bugle Peter has a supporting cast That's witchcraft That's heresy Also it is so nice To see JJJ back where he belongs At the Bugle And not as mayor of New York City Yeah That happened Hi Arlie. Also, we get a nice little 21st century explanation of how Peter is getting all his great shots because he has a drone camera that he built. And again, it shows that he's only a few steps below Reed Richards and Tony Stark in the Smarts department. And to be honest, there is just so much awesome dialogue in the, in these ish, in this story that if I actually started reading it, I'd probably read up read the entire story verbatim. So, all I'm going to say is check it out. It's just fun. Hush. I'm trying to record. Also, I really dig Mary Jane's costume. It's similar to Peter's, only instead of blue, where the blue is, it's white. And she has more of a domino-type domino mask than the full head mask Peter wears. And finally, my heart just plain broke at seeing Annie with a split lip and blood streaming down her chin as the moloids dragged her away. I hated waiting another month before finding out what happened next. I kinda got spoiled by DC having a new issue come out every two weeks. This, So I had to get back into the monthly groove and it was us. I was on pins and needles for a long time. I, But that was part of the fun of comics is you want to know what happens next. That's something we tend to miss when we binge read. But fortunately for you guys, we'll be covering that right now. Part two. This issue will be from MJ's point of view. So we travel back in time a little bit to early in the day with Mary Jane doing what any mom would do and is taking Annie to school. Well, not quite what any soccer mom with a minivan would do as Mary Jane and Annie are web slinging through the streets of New York, and also slightly confusing me as to how Mary Jane's suit works because I thought Mary Jane had to be in close proximity to Peter to tap into his powers, but I'll just, but I'll forgive it because it's just so darn awesome. Oh, wait. Annie's got powers. Well, that explains it. Duh. (laughs) She's tapping into Annie, which could kind of be bad, but. Uh, I'm just going to... Comic books. Solves everything. Just say comic books. (laughs) So reminding Annie that what we all did as kids by waiting till the absolute last minute to get homework done is a bad idea, the two women arrive at school. And after another touching moment between mother and daughter and ensuring that we'll be buying this comic until the day it sadly ends, or I do, Annie heads off to school. Heading off to work and taking advantage of being the owner slash boss, Mary Jane has enough time to stop a couple of heavily armed thugs making a getaway from the police before heading into work. We find that Mary Jane is now the proud owner of a little fashion boutique and also has not just inherited her husband's powers, but also the famous Parker Luck because her assistant made a pretty big mistake. However, a nice word of mouth from one of New York's top fashion reporters helps offset the blow. Stopping at her local not Starbucks, again, not Starbucks, MJ hears about the little escapade going on with her husband and the stunt double to Jurassic Park and rushes out to suit up. We then get another glorious two page splash of awesomeness. Mary Jane swinging over the rooftops and I start wondering just how pervy I am as I start wondering if she's wearing any underwear underneath that suit. As she swings to the scene we cut to Normie muscling his way onto the scene as well. We get a little repeat of the previous issue but from Mary Jane's perspective this time and now the moment you've been waiting about five minutes for. As the two parents gaze down at their captive daughter and the mole man is monologuing like any good villain We find out that our repulsive subterranean recluse just made the biggest mistake in his life. Well, second only to not breaking up a bunch of the diamonds in his lair and selling them to become the richest man on Earth. And that is messing with a spider mama's baby girl. Mary Jane dives into the mass of Moloids and pretty much does what you'd expect. And I'm pretty sure that even Wolverine would go, ouch, on that one. And I'm not talking... X-Men Animated Series Wolverine, I'm talking R-Rated Logan Wolverine on that one. After after taking care of the Moloids and grounding Annie, you remember that, hey, there's a giant T-Rex on the loose, and Spider-Man and MJ, who we don't have a co-name yet, give it a massive concussion as they both strike, it both punch its head, and it collapses to the pavement. The two Parkers then take a quick moment to tell Annie that it's way past time for her to go home before Annie can play the well dad said it's okay for me to web swing and risk my life card mary jane uses the most dangerous superpower of all the mom voice and stare annie swings away as the two parents try to stop the mole man as they approach the massive hole the ground suddenly gives out beneath them and the two are knocked unconscious in the fall MJ is the first to wake up to find her husband chained up with a mole man gloating over them, and we find out that MJ now has a codename, Spinneret, and she is really okay. off. Okay, now I know this synopsis was a little shorter, but this is an issue where just describing it doesn't do it justice, and again, short of reading the entire thing out loud, all I can say is... Pick it up and check it out for yourself, please. This series needs to be read, and I'm going to be a broken record on that, just just so you're aware. (laughs) And, you know, I'm not too proud to admit that I've done exactly what Annie's done when it came to homework. And, you know, those big projects that you have, you know, six to eight weeks to do, and you don't actually finish, don't even start till, like, the Sunday night, and it's due Monday morning. Come on, we've all done that. So I also apologize for probably making my mom go through the same things Mary Jane did, but... Then again, I'll sure I'll get my just desserts when I become a dad one day. So you know, turnabouts all fair play, and it's the circle of life, of other, and it moves us on. I may actually have to leave the singing in there, friends, and not put the actual clip because I'm afraid Dis- I'm afraid of Disney lawyers. Also, we find out that, yes, women are better than men at making mental lists because Mary Jane is much better at this than Peter, but she still manages to accidentally give Annie permission to go web-slinging to school the next time she's late because Mary Jane is distracted trying to plan a certain wall-crawler's birthday party, which, we'll cover, which won't be covered in this episode of the show, but in the next issue where that gets paid off. And also, You know, the issue after that has 90s X-Men. So why are you still listening? Go get this book now. Seriously. Mary Jane also... And next is Mary Jane Watson Parker. Wife, mother, business owner, and superhero. You know, I have no problem with that resume. And when she takes out the two-armed goons on the motorcycle, oh, they're going to be in traction for a while. Also, as she's swinging through the city... She lands on top of a car and this led me to think about this as a question. Are dents on your car roofs or, you know, hoods or trunks caused by superpowered people landing on them covered by Marvel's version of a, you know, certain insurance policy provider that I'm not allowed to say the name of without shelling them a few bucks. So insert your own insurance company name here and you know who says podcasts can't be interactive. So MJ has a pretty bad assistant. But, you know, it's pretty easy to add an extra zero to an order form, but we should always be wary of that little number's power. I mean, there's a big difference between 50 non-returnable items and 500 non-returnable items. Also, in that scene, didn't Mary Jane steal one of Sandman's shirts? I mean, it is a dead ringer for one of Sandman's um, green striped shirts. And... Friends, I'm going to apologize I was trying to hold off on this but I can't it's too good <clears throat> spider mom spider mom does whatever a spider mom does spins a web any size catches thieves just like flies look out here comes a spider mom I am you know what I'm not ashamed <laughs> Also, you know, I had to expect Peter to be the one charging in first after Annie, but yeah, go marry Jane. Also, do Moloids have health insurance? Because they are so going to need it. And, you know, mom stares work not just on kids, but on Moloids. And now I'm wondering whose stare is scarier, moms or Batmans. And to be honest, my money is on mom. <laughs> so, w- there's a panel... I just love so much because it's a shot of our spider family doing the uh, perch sit all together on a wall and it's just beautiful and I really, really wish a poster was made of this. I may have kind of started a minor campaign of, m- minor petition of one to Marvel to request that. <laughs> oh, Mole Man Mole Man. So first you heard her daughter and now you're going after her hobby. Oh, good sir you have messed up. And we will find out more in a little bit because now in part three we go back in time to Annie at school. So this is her issue and just a sec hold on. Okay back to the synopsis because we see our little miss Annie as she's drawing a nice family picture of her family swinging through the city and is caught by the teacher. And, you know, that may actually not be quite the problem because no one knows about Spidey hanging out with Spinneret and and to be named later. At least, I think. And, again, have I mentioned I'm not all that good at this podcasting thing? So Annie is caught by her teacher and rather than showing the entire clan something they sure aren't ready for and actually I don't think it's really that big a deal Annie does the only sensible thing she can she eats it well her teacher isn't too thrilled and sends Annie off to the principal's office waiting for the PS71's equivalent of Dr. Doom to call her Annie is surprised to see Stephanie Kim resident 4th grader and top dog of the school sit next to her the duo have a little chat and Annie's called into the principal why am I here when I could be golfing Morton's office after a promise of not doing it again and Principal Morton about as concerned as the next overrate bureaucrat, Annie heads off to recess. Feeling good about the advice Annie got from Stephanie about how to handle the principal, she starts to form a social link with her, uh, I mean get to know her, uh, sorry I've been playing a lot of personal lately. <laughs> well, the two girls come across the local school bully, and Annie, being the incredibly awesome girl she is even if she couldn't stick to walls and lift a small car, tries to intervene. Forgetting that she's in uh, second grade and the bully is a good deal older, he doesn't seem too threatened by her. Annie struggles with not turning his face into a pulpy mass and is saved by Stephanie who stares down the bully and he runs away like the good, cowardly, and superstitious lot he is. I really like Stephanie, by the way. Impressed that maybe Annie just got the best friend she could ask for, she is suddenly hit by by what I'm calling Spider Sense 2.0. Because unlike her dad's which kicked in whenever there was an immediate threat to him, usually depending on plot, Annie's is pretty much a full-on force vision of her parents in trouble with the events we as the audience have previously seen but haven't yet happened in the story. So what does our superpowered heroine and training do? She grabs her backpack where she has stashed her costume, sneaks into the clo- into the closest ventilation shaft, and changes into the amazing, to be named later. Leaping off the school roof, Annie swings into action, but again, thanks to Spider Sense 2.0, she actually arrived before either of her parents and even the Moloids. So she's quickly surprised by the first uh, wave of invading Moloids who drag her underground. She apparently lost consciousness for a bit, which is serious enough for this kid because, you know, concussions are not good for anyone, let alone, you know, eight-year-olds, but then again, she does have an accelerated healing factor due to being one-quarter radioactive spider. She wakes up to see her mom really off, hence storming into the group of moloids who hurt her baby. After being rescued and then grounded, Annie starts to swing home and then realizes, hey, wait, wait a second, how did I get here first? Well, she's hit by another blast of spider vision and heads back to the massive hole just in time to see her parents fall underground. Now, in addition to Spider Sense 2.0, we find out that she also has Spider Sense 1.0 as the T-Rex that Peter and Mary Jane punched was only stunned and tries to have a little spider snack. Well, as she's web-swinging and dodging the dinosaur, little Normie Osborne, because remember, he has arrived at the scene catches a glimpse of the young web-slinger and kinda gets a schoolboy crush on her so more on that later. Swinging around the site, Annie proves she's just as talented as her dad by tricking the rampaging Rex into the massive chasm the Mole Man left behind. Following the falling dino, which just happens to crash close to the Mole Man and actually takes out a bunch of Moloids, Annie finds her parents. We then get another sign that Annie is a chip off the old spider block and she's itching for a fight. Mostly. Alright. I'm just gonna get this out of the way. I love Annie. I love how she acts like a normal second grader. Most of us would agree that no one would immediately assume a drawing of a spider family would make you assume that it's a family portrait. A simple It's My Imagination would have worked, but Annie is eight. So what's the simplest answer an eight year old comes up with? Eat the evidence. I mean, come on. We would all do the same thing. Admit it! Admit it! Also, that drawing looks like it was really drawn by pencils. I know that sounds kind of stupid, but it works when you see it. There's graphite smudges of um, ink, so it looks like there's sponges of lead on the paper. This is just a great little one-page splash. It looks like something an eight-year-old would draw. It looks like something, it looks like actual pencil. It's just a beautiful piece of paper! And also, we see Annie starting to get popular with the big kids. Good job, Annie. That's going to come in handy later. Also, why is it the only principal in comics who I ever felt gave a darn about being a principal I'm, was Officer... I mean Principal Carl Winslow of Reginald Van Johnson High School in the early Invincible issues? Annie, you are your father's daughter, standing up for what's right. Uncle Ben and Aunt May are smiling down on you, sweetie. And Aunt Anna's... Th- there, just scowling, but I'm sure she's kind of got a half smile too. Spider-Sense 2.0, it's pretty darn awesome. The best way I can describe it is, like I said, it's either like a forced vision, or I keep thinking back to that throw- throwaway line in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 1, where the scientists kind of explain the Spider-Sense and says how it even borders on precognition. Well, we're getting it for sure now. And again, I can't resist. Spider Girl, Spider Girl does whatever a Spider Girl does. Also, now that I think about it, as they crawl, how do how does any spider-powered person not completely scrape their knees as they crawl across the ceiling? I mean, Annie's costume has like little knee pads to protect it, but right now in this panel, she's just wearing a t-shirt and jeans. So yeah, I've always wondered that, and now you'll always wonder it too. Ha! So. Annie's spider suit is actually pretty cool. It's one part superhero armor, pretty much one part crash test dummy. Peter built it to protect her, and it looks the part. It actually also makes me wonder why he didn't put any armor in either his or Mary Jane's costumes. Thanks to Spidey Sense 2.0, Annie arrived first on the scene, so we now understand why she's being dragged away by Moloids from back in the first and second issues. Now, We were pretty freaked out by seeing MJ in angry mom mode in the last issue. Getting a full shot of it from Annie's point of view scares her to the core. So imagine what'll happen when Mary Jane finds out she snuck at night to go do some web slinging and, you know, meet up with her boyfriend. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm mixing up Annie with Mayday. My bad, but, you know, it'll probably still happen when Annie hits 16. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of parallels between Annie and Mayday. Which, now I really want that crossover to happen. I really do. So calm down, calm down. (laughs) So what's scarier than a rampaging T-Rex? An angry mom telling you, you're grounded, little Miss Muffet, now get back on your tuffet. Okay, now we're going to get into a little creepy factor. I like Normie acting older than he is in a business sense. And to be honest, I have a feeling he's putting on a bit of a show. But I also find it slightly creepy that a nine, 8, 9, maybe 10-year-old is getting a crush on a second grader, maybe a third. Just ex- Yeah, they don't actually give any his exact age. So I'm guessing she's 8, but still, it's kind of creepy. But then again, it's not as creepy as Bentley, the 6-year-old clone of the Wizard, the uh, Fantastic Four villain, hitting on the 3-year-old... Valeria Richards, daughter of Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman, who was actually already smarter than her dad and definitely does not act her age. So, yeah, a six-year-old's hitting on a three-year-old, but then again, both of them were drawn to look closer to their teens, but they're supposed to be six and three years old. It's just creepy. But, you know, maybe we'll get another Goblin-Spider romance in another th- few years, like we did with uh, Mayday. Oh, I can't wait to see Peter's reaction if Normie asks her out to prom. (laughs) Also, as Annie confronts the Mole Man, we see that just like her dad, she puts on a brave front but can be completely scared out of her wits inside, but she still isn't willing to back down. Go get that smelly Mole Man, Annie! And also, every time I read Mole Man's dialogue in this whole story, I keep hearing John Ratzenberger's The Underminer from The Incredibles movie. Yeah, go read these issues and hear and think about John Radzenberg's reading it, and you will hear it. I swear it. So, let's go into the final part of the story and finish and finish off this great tale of Spider Daring Do. Now, before I get into the synopsis, there is one little credit I need to add because there was an additional colorist helping Miss Obach. Jesus Abrutov, and I apologize Mr. Abrutov if I mispronounce that again, I have trouble with names. And, you know, I think the best compliment I can give uh, give him is that I couldn't tell any difference between his coloring and Ms. Obak's, and all of it was 100% awesome. Alrighty, so part four, all together now. So remember how we were expecting little Annie to start t- kicking some mole man butt? Well, she was too, but a little parental intervention occurs as we see the glorious two-page splash of awesomeness as our wall-crawling family is web-swinging away from the Mole Man. The Mole Man is giving chase by having by sitting in a chariot, pulled by velociraptors ridden by mole and he has a giant laser cannon he stole from the region's um, compound and is attached to one of the raptors. And if that sentence didn't make you go, oh, that sounds cool. You don't need comic books, do you? (laughs) Well, evading blasts from this laser cannon, and also, poor Morloids are getting slightly disintegrated. More on that later. The Parkers desperately try to stay one step ahead of the subterranean madman. Oh, and he ends up monologuing while chasing them. So, yeah. Please tell me this isn't Marvel's version of The Incredibles. Mary Jane and Peter start debating as to what to do, stop the mole man or get Annie to safety first. Well, the planet Earth itself decides to weigh in on the argument as the Parkers suddenly run out of uh, strong enough overhangs for their webs and they all begin plummeting to a lava lake below. Desperately trying to save Annie from getting the mother of all sunburns, MJ and Peter stop acting as a team and end up in one of the best comedic bits of the story by webbing and... Plowing into each other instead of grabbing Annie. So, is this the end of our To Be Named Later? Nope. Our little Annie can take care of herself and she manages to swing herself out of trouble while Peter and Mary Jane are pretty much webbed together, hanging over the lava pit. Also, tangent amount, I've always kind of given a give me on the physics of lava lakes in comics because, you know, there's a lot of heat coming off those things. Technically anyone going over it should be burned or a crisp, so I just I always just give it a pass. It's comic books. Okay. Now back above ground, we're in we meet once again Oh, I'm so happy she's back. Intrepid Daily Bueller reporter Betty Brandt, who was covering the scene for Jolly J Jonah Jameson. After another comedic beat of action, after another comedic beat of actually getting Jonah tongue tied, Betty gets to work. We also see little Norman begin his own spider obsession by wanting to find out everything about a certain little girl and discovers Peter's broken camera drone that had gotten damaged in the melee. Back to the action a few hundred feet underground, Peter and Mary Jane are arguing a little, and MJ reminds Peter that he needs to remember, hey, this is a team effort now, mister, and Peter apologizes for being a blockhead. Annie's main concern is, well, when do I get my superhero name? I'm tired of being to be named later. And to be fair, that's something I've been wondering for a while, too. Peter goes into instant dad mode and says, no way, sweetie. Kind of forgetting that, you know, before he, he could get a driver's license or, you know, vote, <laughs> he was swinging dozens of stories in the air, fighting supervillains, and almost drowning in an underwater laboratory in probably one of the greatest issues of Amazing Spider-Man, period. Well, MJ's temper flares and the two start arguing, and we get another awesome joke as the argument turns to um, Annie's point of view, and instead of words, we hear blah 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 blah, Annie, blah 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 blah. Oh, no, blah blah blah! It's just, again, audio is not doing this book justice. I'm so sorry. You must read this. She's trying to tune out her arguing parents, Annie hears voices coming from a small crevice next to where she's sitting, and after trying to get her parents' attention but is, you know, told in typical kid fashion whenever they try to get the adults' attention to something important, is told to butt out because, you know, the adults are talking, she decides to take matters into her own hands and starts crawling through the crevice. Well, the opening is only bite-sized spider person accessible, so Peter can't grab her and yank her out. And Annie reminds them that hey guys you know we have to stop the insane man man with the giant laser gun right So as Mary Jane and Peter find another way around and are also being secretly proud of Annie for kicking them in the rear and getting them going again Annie starts heading to the source of the voice she heard Well it turns out that it's the mole man having fun with his new laser cannon and slaughtering tons of his moleoids More on that later because I have questions well, again, monologuing and distracted, and I love Mole Man monologues now, he doesn't see a pite sized spider type climb on top of the laser cannon. Well, it's more like a web drop on top of it, but you, you know what I mean. Well, as Peter and Mary Jane and Riven start being the tall, tar out of Mole Moleids, and, I, you know, I'm really starting to feel sorry for these guys, Mole Man tries to bash Annie's head in with his cane. Staff thingy. Well, after a quick rev- Yoink! The spider parents show their disapproval in the supervillain's attempted whacking and decide to give a little whacking of their own. Finally, with the Mole Man in custody, for the time being, and the region's laser cannon being sent to NYPD Impound, which, you know, to think if you think about it, the Marvel or DC version of any police impound has to be amazing considering just how much supervillain tech there has to be there. So, you know, any police department in a comic book world probably has multiple massive weapons of mass destruction, I'm just saying. So the Parkers decide to call it a night and head for home. On the way, Peter finally relents and decides to, you know, on an extremely well-supervised and limited basis, teach the ropes to little Annie. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, that's not her codename. Because for henceforth, she will be known as Arana! Oh, sorry, that that's taken. Okay, so from henceforth, she will be known as the Amazing Spider Girl. Nope, no, no, that's taken too. And also, the other one stands down. So, what are we going to call her? Ah, she is now the Sensational Spiderling. May they have many more adventures to come. Okay, so as this is pretty much the wrap-up fighty McFightingstein issue copyright Andrew Leyland all rights reserved There's not a lot I can add (laughs) The story is just downright hilarious in places. The art is fantastic throughout and there's even a family circus reference in it Wait, what? Well, remember the scene of Annie crawling through the crevasse? (laughs) Well She has tons of her, we see tons of her in silhouette moving through the tunnel. And, you know, as I was reading, I thought it reminded me of those Billy comics where he walks around and there's the trail of dotted lines behind him. So, you know, thanks to this wonderful invention called Twitter, I mentioned how much I loved it and what it reminded me of to Ryan Stegman. And, you know, I just thought it was really cool because, yeah, it was a great little, little gag. Well, the absolutely greatest part of my day that day was he responded to that and said that's exactly what he was going for. Needless to say, I had a smile that could rival Cheshire cats after that. Okay, now I'm actually starting to think that there needs to be a petum organization or people for the ethical treatment of moloids because these poor moloids they keep getting insulted beaten and incinerated by their own leader i mean why do they put up with this why hasn't anyone stopped this brutality and that's not even counting what the superheroes are doing to them also tongue-tied jay jonah jameson is amazing <laughs> oh, it's just it's fun again and I'll say it again that I am so happy he's back behind the Beagle Desk and not the mayor of New York. This is where he belongs, in my opinion. Okay. Normie? Seriously, I'm I'm really, really starting to get creeped out here. Are we sure your middle name isn't Damien? And no, I'm not talking about Robin. I'm talking about the other Damien. <laughs> Actually, I'd like to have Normie and Damien in the same room together. That, that could be interesting! <laughs> okay, Mole Man, trying to bash the head in of an eight-year-old. I think you're regretting that decision. Oh, and by the way, have you come down from orbit yet? You know, we, we gotta get you in the uh, SWAT van. Also, I am so happy that Annie has a code name now. To be honest, I think spiraling is a little underwhelming for her, but, you know, things can always change. I mean, look at Kitty Pride, a.k.a. Shadowcat. How many different names has she gone through over the years? Also, you know, I'm glad Mary Jane will make sure that Annie's costumes are at least, you know, sensible and, you know, co- color-coordinated because, I mean, some of Kitty's were, to put it mildly and politely, unusual. Yeah. Oh, that that one of her when she was Ariel. Oh, just, just look it up. You will know it when you see it. It involves roller skates, plaids, stripes, and polka dots, all together. Also, so I have a question on uh, again on Spyring's name. Peter tells Annie that Spider Girl is taken. How does he know that? He hasn't met either when or Mayday. I think. So is there another spider girl swinging around out there, or did we just have a fourth wall breaking joke? I don't know. Time will tell. So in conclusion, this has been a fun read, if you couldn't tell by the amount of excitement I've been gushing over for the past hour, and I definitely recommend checking it out. You know, it's a pretty, pretty simple story, but for me that is perfect. A lot of problems that I feel Marvel is having with Getting new readers on board right now is that there are so many big events and huge storylines that, unless you pretty much start reading from Civil War on, you have no idea what's going on. It's very hard for new readers to jump on. This is a story to the return of early days of Marvel, where you could just pick up a book and just go from there. It didn't have to. The, the, you had um, maybe a page of background exposition or less. And in fact, nowadays there's even these little text boxes that appear with the cover credits to give you a summary of what's going on so you can jump right in. I love that. That's that's a so that way you don't even have to waste a page of storytelling space, you can get, you know, have another page of storytelling, which I think is actually a really cool idea. Cuz you know, the more story for your book, the happier I am. Now my only real complaint on the story, and you know it's more of a minor nitpick, but I I do have to be fair, is that, again, I love these issues so much, and I love how the first three issues get us each spend uh, time in each of the characters' heads. We do kind of end up reading the same story a few times, just, you know, from different points of view. Now that said, I have all the issues after this. And we don't have um, that kind of broken up storytelling. So this was just kind of like the introductions where we get to know these characters. Because really, for these three characters, they're completely new to Marvel you know, to Marvel continuity. Because they're not the main, what the main characters are going through. And personally, I prefer Renew Your Vows over any Spider-Man book on the stands right now. And also, the next issue, friends. Once you start reading, you'll want to check them out. Because let me just put this, put it this way: the next issue is Annie dragging her parents to a not Chuck E. Cheese for a family night out. No, nothing, nothing exciting. You know, nothing's going to go wrong. Well, all I'll say is the usual Parker luck shows its head. And you know, more importantly, these books are fun. I think the art is amazing, and it's so good to see a master of Spider-Man writing Jerry Conway return to a beloved character. There, Miss Orbach's colors again are beautiful, and I just I can't get over how good these books are. There is a new superhero team in town, and I can't wait to find out more about him. Oh wow! Okay, I think we'll take one more quick break. And when we get back, we'll head into the feedback. Because, believe it or not, I have a lot to go through. We'll be right back. Hello. As an addendum to this episode, I just wanted to mention that this episode is once again sponsored by Petma, the people for the ethical treatment of molloids. Please donate to your local chapter of Petma and stop this endless abuse. For only pennies a day you too can sponsor a Moloid and save them from the dastardly deeds of megalomaniacal villains and subterranean despots. Please, open your hearts to these poor, poor creatures who daily suffer abuses we wouldn't even inflict upon animals. Please, support Petma and for God's sake, Stop the violence! Alrighty, and we are back. Well, our first uh, few, few uh, our first feedback is from our good buddy my from our good friend my semi-regular co-host Gene because he gives me some feedback on na 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 bat month bat month which really is going to become a lot more than that. <laughs> so Gene writes, Aaron, so you don't know about Neo-Zaz? Well, fair warning, that's another rabbit hole to go down. Appreciate that, buddy. I, <laughs> I would highly recommend Star Wars and Character, their flagship show, as well as my good buddy Adam Morse, The Bad Advice Show. Neither are family-friendly, but really funny. Then there's the GR80s, which I'm assuming means Grady's, the great 80s movie debate, which I think you'll really enjoy as well. Well, as I'm more of a 90s kid, but uh, hey, well, there was a lot of great 80s movies. Though I have to admit there are a lot of 80s movies I have not seen that should be prerequisite for all geeks, and, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Goonies! Goonies! I've not seen Goonies! Now, on to the topic at hand. Now, this was back to my first um, Batman episode. Like you, my introduction to Batman was the 1966 series, but it was also the Super Friends cartoon. Certainly, a much more light-hearted version than what I found when I started reading the comics. Having read the Frank Miller Dark Knight and Year One, I wasn't all that shocked with BTAS. I'm going to go a little further farther than you, though. I believe that BTAS is the best interpretation of the character in any medium, including the comics. The series distilled the best parts of all of the characters, and, as you said, added so much that it has surpassed the source material. The best example of this is, again, in my opinion, Mask of the Phantasm, which improves upon the Batman Year 2 story. It's not that it was a bad story in the comics, far from it, but the movie just added so much more. Heck, B.T.A.S. was so good that my dad watched it with me. That's awesome, man. I'm guessing your dad probably wasn't much of a you know geek like us. So, you know, that's something I love is when you find the uh, geek thing in pop culture that everyone can enjoy. I think that's part of why Marvel is doing so well is it's hitting a nerve with people because you don't have to know um, everything about who this character is and these characters, but the Marvel and DC TV shows are just, amazing and fun so I think they hit hit a nerve so we will so yeah it, it when you can get the non-geeks in to enjoy it that's awesome sorry for the clicking but my uh, <laughs> computer decided to go wonky on me alrighty and Jean concludes I wholeheartedly agree about Chuck Dixon being the Batman writer of course, one of my favorite comic series is the Dixon McDaniel story run on Nightwing. Oh, thank you, Gene! Yes, Chuck Dixon, Scott McDaniel, and... I can't remember the other guy's name, but Mr. Stories run on Nightwing, so I might be a bit biased. Yes, and I have all those trade paperbacks that they have released that contain, the, like, the first 50 issues. And sadly, the Demon Annual. Oh, yeah, well, <clears throat> that, that one I'm not looking forward to. <clears throat> As to the big announcement, I have just one thing to say. Welcome to the party, pal. And for those of you... Now, this was back before I released my um, Mask of the Phantasm episode, so that's why he didn't really say anything about that. Now, this was the announcement of me joining the Future Freaks Network. And also, I I have to say this. There there is an announcement. (sighs) Tangents Abound is ending. On the and feed. <laughs> I'm not closing the show. Absolutely not. I'm having way too much fun. I've got way too many podcast ideas. So I'm going to close down Lips and feed mainly because I'm starting to have to pay my bills. And, you know, the Lipson. I'm not making as much use of Lipson as I thought right now with the bi weekly schedule. So I'm going to be exclusively to be found on the Two True Freaks Network. From now on, so that's two true freaks dot com. So the show isn't going away, far from it, but it will not be updating on the Lipson page anymore. I'm going to keep it going for maybe another month or two, so people can get this episode and hear this announcement. And I will post it uh, on the notes itself. However, this will be the final episode on the Lipson page. So. All my lips and listeners, thank you so very much. I appreciate you listening so much, but we're going. to, But I have to think about what's best for the show and to keep it going. It's going to be on the Two True Freaks Network exclusively after this episode. Now, having said that, <laughs> I got a review by Brewmaster73 on iTunes for <laughs> my Lips and Feed show. So. Thank you, Brewmaster73. Let me read it real quick. And I'm, uh, I'm sorry <laughs> for taking so long to get back to you, but thank you, thank you, thank you so very much. And his uh, review said, Great find. Great podcast, especially if you like an in-depth discussion of the topic at hand. I am one of those people who crave knowledge about subjects I know little about. Huh. Hey, we have something in common there, Brewmaster. And I have found that the best way is to find an expert in that field. I have found that here. Expert. Dude, uh, seriously, most of my expertise comes from listening to years of other podcasters and Google. <laughs> Some, su- But uh, I appreciate it. I really appreciate the compliment. I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm far from it. But thank you. I, I, I'm ju- I've just never been called an expert in the field <laughs> or an expert at anything. Some subjects, like Star Wars, are already my favorites. I really like you, Brewmaster. Others, like comics, I know very little about, but would like to know more. Hey, you know, that's exactly what I did when I started listening to podcasts. This is the perfect place for me. I can bask in the glory of my favorite things and gain much needed knowledge that I lack. Thank you, and keep it up. Brewmaster73, that's awesome. I apologize for, you know, not getting your iTunes review on air uh, sooner than I thought liked, mainly because I kind of forgot to keep checking iTunes, because you know, when you go six months and you don't have a review, you tend to forget to check. (laughs) So, thank you so much, my friend. I hope you're still with the show. I would really love to hear from you um, through an email. Um, The email is at gmail.com. There's always a link to it in the notes, in the show notes. So, I'd love to hear more from you, Brewmaster, because if, you know, anyone who says I'm an expert in the field, you know, if you have ideas of stuff that you want to listen to, I'm kind of, you know, I'd, I'm not afraid to pit myself out and say, what would you like to hear? <laughs> Tell me more. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you. That that really meant a lot to me. All right, back to the emails. Our next email is from Dave McIlvaney. Now, thanks to Dave, and he sent me a little note so I know how to pronounce his last name. (laughs) And this is on episode 20. And he writes, Greetings, Aaron. I listened to your Dark Knight episode, and I'm looking forward to hearing more of your take on Batman. You asked about your listener's Batman experience, so here's a bit of mine. I'm older than you are. I'm 61. So my introduction to Batman was much earlier than the Batman TV series with Adam Westenberg Ward. I first saw Batman in my older brother's comic books, going back to around the time I was born. So my early exposure was late golden age. Some people would call that the mid to late fifties or the atomic age and early silver age in Batman, Detective, World's Finest, and the Justice League of America. I have a great affection for the original bat hyphen woman with the hyphen thank you, bat hyphen girl, bat might, and ace the bat hound. All elements of the let's make Batman more like Superman spirit of the time, because Superman had a big family too. I also love the 1960s return to Batman as Detective, begun in the new look days of editor Julius Schwartz, and the amazing look of Batman as interpreted by the great Neil Adams in the late 1960s and 70s. I was a fan of the TV series, but mostly because it was the only live action version of Batman available. I'd seen the old movie serials as a young kid because our local movie house would show them as part of Saturday matinees for the neighborhood kids, but those were fairly low-budget affairs and pretty well dated by the time I saw them. I realize that Batman is, in many of his best versions, a creature of the night meant to frighten criminals, a cowardly and superstitious lot. But I think sometimes writers make him too dark, at least for my taste, beginning with Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns in 1986, And sometimes writers make him too much the Bat-God, always prepared for absolutely any eventuality, no matter how far-fetched. Dave, I'm going to pause right here and say I absolutely agree with you. We are on the same wavelength. I don't mind Batman being a little dark, but when he's one step away from being the characters he's putting into Arkham... I have issues, and again, I also like him being, you know, having to figure things out, not being prepared for everything. I like Batman to be smart and inventive, to be smart and inventive with the ingenuity of a MacGyver, but often he is. uh, I love that. I love that myology. MacGyver as Batman. My brain just melted right there. (laughs) But too often, Batman is ridiculously powerful even more so than the common complaint that Superman is too powerful. Ultimately, I like a Batman who is brilliant, resourceful, inventive, and at the physical and mental peak of human ability, but even at that peak, still human and vulnerable. I also like a Batman who, although different in many ways from Superman, can still work well with him and maybe even on some level be his friend. Dave... I'm raising my tea to you because you and me are on the same wavelength, my friend. That's exactly how I feel. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thanks for another fun listen. Live long and prosper. Dave McElvenny. Thanks, Dave. Peace and long life, my friend. Peace and long life. Uh, and my final email is a new emailer, Mike Gold. And I apologize, Mike, if I mispronounced your last name. So, Mike writes on... Uh, he actually started... I'll, his email is Lois and Clark. Hey, Aaron. Just thought I'd write in to let you know that I'm loving the show so far. Your coverage of the Lois and Clark series was really very excellent. I purchased these books as they were coming out, but never got around to reading them. Well, to be fair, Mike, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> So when I saw the issue-by-issue coverage of these books, I thought it'd be the perfect time to read them. I was very surprised at how much I enjoyed these books, because prior to that, I was not enjoying the current new 52 Superman. But this series has reignited my curiosity for Superman, and and I have since read all the Rebirth, Action, and Superman books, and I'm loving them as well. Me too, Mike. Me too. Before I go, I just want to say I'd love to see more issue-by-issue coverage of comic series. I really enjoy following along and seeing if I missed anything. Might I recommend the Dark Knight over Metropolis or the Roy Thomas New Beginning 4 Issues Shazam show? Anyway, I'm rambling now, so from one geek to another, I'd just like to say keep up the good work, Mike. Well, thanks, Mike. And also here at Tangents Amount, rambling in emails isn't just accepted, it's encouraged. So thanks for listening, my friend. And... Also, for Dark Knight over Metropolis and um, the Shazam uh, uh, mini-comic, I've never read them. And to be honest, I would check out uh, From Crisis to Crisis, where Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor covered Dark Knight over Metropolis, and I'm pretty sure are responsible for that getting reprinted and trade recently. Even if it's they're not, I'm pretty sure they are. <laughs> And also, um, Michael Bailey over on Views of the, from the Long Bucks just covered that Shazam um, series as well. And to be honest, when Michael Bailey covers something, I never think I would ever do as good a job as Michael Bailey. Because Professor Bailey is, in all to me at least, the godfather of podcasting. Because of From Crisis to Crisis and Views from the Long Box, so many shows started up. Um, and from there so many podcast networks have started off i mean you know how you could do five ways of separation with kevin bacon in movies there's five ways of separation with michael bailey in comic book podcasting so yeah michael bailey is the kevin bacon of podcasts gene can, can you let him know that <laughs> Alrighty, my friends well that clears out my uh inbox and thank you all so much I greatly appreciate it. It's so great to to hear from all my friends. Thank you, Brewmaster, for the iTunes review. I'm so happy, and I hope um, you leave me uh, either copy it or you know give me an update on the uh, Two True Freaks part of the iTunes review, so more people can check out the show there. Because as I said again, this will be the final episode on the Libsyn page. So. Head on over to 2treefreaks.com and the show will be there and there's so much more Tangenty goodness to enjoy. I made sure all the episodes are there now. Everything's been transferred. Everything's good to go. So there's a lot of more stuff coming up and in fact, I'm so looking forward to next week because we're going to head back to Gotham and we're going to find out that sometimes what a hero can't do An outlaw can. I'll see you next time, friends. Take care. Tangents Abound is a free audio podcast. No money is made in the production or distribution of this podcast. Any and all audio clips used in this podcast are for education and review purposes only and are owned by the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Feedback for the show can be left at tangentsabound at gmail.com. Or, if you'd like, why don't you leave me a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening, my friends. And in case I don't see you, have a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop... Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email Two True Freaks directly at Freaks at gmail.com